0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And it's Saturday. Time to go into the vault for a classic episode of the show. This one comes from uh, November of 2019. This was published on the 28th of last year, and it is The Science of Gratitude. That's right. A little Thanksgiving content for
1: your uh, what American Thanksgiving uh, holiday season.
0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb, and I'm Joe McCormick. And hey, Robert, jam band trivia for you. Do you know where the name of the Grateful Dead comes from? Oh man, you know, I, I, I I'm not a huge
1: Deadhead. I really love that that track, Dark Star, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, I, I, I never really gave it a lot of thought. I know they have the like a sort of a mascot of like a, this medieval looking
0: skeleton with the hair and and all, and it's it's a cool name, but I actually never gave it a lot of thought. I didn't know until. just recently, I found out the answer. The name of the band comes from when a member, I think it was Jerry Garcia, or it might have been another member, somebody found in an encyclopedia an entry For a thing that was was already an existing phrase called the Grateful Dead. Hmm. So what is that? Well, it turns out that the Grateful Dead is an archetypal folktale motif that appears in lots of cultures around the world, usually not as a story on its own, but as like a piece of a story, a sort of like scene in a story that shows up in tons of different folktale cycles. Uh, According to the late great American folklore scholar Stith Thompson, versions of this tale are found especially in European and Asian lore, though I think you might find it elsewhere too. But to read from Thompson's description, quote, In all these tales, we learn of a hero who finds that creditors are refusing to permit the burial of a corpse until the dead man's debts have been paid. The hero spends his last penny to ransom the dead man's body and to secure his burial. Later, in the course of his adventures, the hero is joined by a mysterious stranger who agrees to help him in all his endeavors. The stranger is the grateful dead man. Hmm. The only condition which the dead man makes when he agrees to help the hero is that all winnings which the latter makes shall be equally divided. In all the stories, the hero eventually wins a wife and the helper demands his half. Usually the dead man interferes in time to prevent the actual cutting in two of the woman. Oh, wow. So multiple strange elements there. (laughs) Number one, of course, it reminds me of the like King Solomon and the baby story. mm -hmm. Uh, But it also reminds me of other, I mean, I, I think it's extremely common to have, what would you call this dynamic of? folktale motifs where Someone is asked to make a promise about what they will do with some kind of future reward or something. But then the reward they receive is not compatible with the promise they made. Ah. Uh, I think of the examples in like Sir Gawain and the Green Knight where uh, it, the, Sir Gawain in some versions of the story, I think Sir Gawain stays with a host who they say each day they will, uh, they will share what they have won in the day with the other one. So the one guy – the host goes out hunting and he comes back and he shares like the boar that he caught with Sir Gawain. But Sir Gawain instead receives a kiss from the man's wife. And so to share it, he has to kiss the man. Oh, (laughs) But of course, the final element here is that it's ultimately a story about a kindness being repaid. It's a story about gratitude from a ghost, that somebody does a kindness that he could not possibly expect to be repaid. And yet in some strange and supernatural fashion, he ends up surprised because his kindness is repaid paid against everything you would expect. And in this, we get into the topic of gratitude, of, of thankfulness,
1: uh, which, of course, seems an obvious thing to tackle on Thanksgiving, uh, and that's one of the reasons we chose it. But also, it is it is an important topic. It is a, an important
0: part of the human experience and human culture, and so there's actually a lot here to unpack. Absolutely, I mean, I would say this is not the only folktale motif to heavily involve gratitude. Gratitude shows up all throughout oh, folk yes. stories. Uh, like the ungrateful receiver is a big archetype. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is ungrateful for what has been done for them and they, you know, are punished or learn a lesson. And the other side is, yes, somehow seeing gratefulness uh, turning out for the best. You do somebody a favor and then you are repaid. And right. their gratitude uh, is, it, it unveils like secret benefits that you couldn't have expected.
1: Yeah, sometimes the- the stranger that you are favorable to turns out to be a divine being of some sort. Uh, there are also tons of tales in which if, if one is uh, punished or rewarded for either, um, uh, you know, not respecting uh, elders or uh, respecting elders being rewarded for the respect. So, yeah, this is gratitude is an important part of, of global myth making and then just continuing a part of our storytelling. So But let's come back to American Thanksgiving, though. (laughs) Okay. Um, All of this isn't necessarily obvious as we go through uh, just our day-to-day experience of Thanksgiving uh, here in America because it can often feel like a very complicated holiday. For instance, uh, let me just roll through a, f- a few of the several reasons to hate on Thanksgiving.
0: Okay. And, and I'm, I am guilty of, of some of these, <laughs> if not all. You've clearly got a love-hate relationship because you you keep wanting to talk about Thanksgiving even though you hate it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, have, I feel like if I am resistant to something like Thanksgiving, then I should probably explore how I feel about it more, you know? Right, yeah. And also perhaps feel explore the things that I feel good about. So on one hand, Thanksgiving is what you get when Halloween is over.
0: Bummer. Yeah, yeah.
1: it's uh, it's all that transition away from ghosts and ghouls and Dracula's and Frankenstein's and uh, you know and the other properly named uh, literary figures that we refer to uh, in the general sense, and then suddenly it's just pilgrims and um, and turkeys and whatnot. Not everybody are, are monster freaks like us, though. True, true. Some may see it as a relief. Now, uh, another thing is that, as is often pointed out in comedy, uh, it is a uh, you know it's a post-election obligation to hang. out out with family members who you may very well not see eye to eye on when it comes to politics. Sure. It can make things a little awkward. Uh, uh, um, If you're lucky, it can make things awkward. It, of course, can be worse than that. Also, it is a feast. And while feasts are a major part of seasonal celebrations around the world, it can feel a bit excessive in the modern age. It can bring up mixed feelings about, say, the amount of food that you are consuming and perhaps the amount of food waste you might be producing. Uh Uh-huh. Also, if you've lost loved ones, if individuals are missing from the proceedings for various reasons, uh, you know, living or dead, uh, or if you yourself cannot be part of such celebrations with family for a variety of reasons, the holiday can be bittersweet or downright depressing. Uh, and, and in this, it's like other holidays.
0: This is absolutely true, and I think this this contributed to the uh, widely circulated but false fact that suicides skyrocket around uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. We looked into that on an episode Mm -hmm. one time and found that it was not in fact true, that they were not highest around the winter months. I think they were actually highest somewhere in the spring.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh, Another thing about uh, Thanksgiving in America is that the pilgrim and Native American aspects of the holidays trappings and sometimes decorations, which many of us grew up with, they can feel uh, rather off-putting the more you realize about the exploitation of First Nations people and or the religious views of the pilgrims. Sure. Uh, one of those situations, the more you know, the more, um, you know, at least awkward it can feel. And then, of course, the, the Thanksgiving parade is
0: not quite as fun as it seemed when you were seven. It uh, never seemed fun.
1: You, <laughs> you never, never got into that? No, balloons? not
0: okay. at all. Uh, no, I like big balloons, but the parade aspect seemed mm-hmm. it seemed overlong and tedious.
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. But I was down for just watching any television at that age. So, oh, okay. Uh, now on Sorry,
0: the, I didn't mean to rain on your, uh, your <laughs> no, no, no.
1: parade, literally. No, no, because <laughs> n- now I don't watch it nowadays. I, I, I'm really not even tempted to. But when I was a child at one point, it was big fun. On the positive side, though, depending on your own personal experience and situation, perhaps you can attest to finding some or all of the following aspects of, of American Thanksgiving fulfilling. First of all, American football. It's not my thing, but I know a lot of people love it and Thanksgiving is a time to watch it obsessively. Somebody's thing. Now, something that is my thing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Turkey Day Marathon.
0: Hey, now we're cooking.
1: Yeah, that, that was and still is one of my favorites. It doesn't feel like Thanksgiving unless I'm watching some sort of a rift movie. Generally, it's uh, Jack Frost.
0: Oh, that's a really good one. That's the one with the uh, like the Russian fairy tale and the yes. taiga. Uh, and Grandfather Mushroom.
1: Yeah, and yeah. there are actually some uh, perhaps some examples of gratitude playing into the, the traditional folk tales that are brought to cinematic life in that film.
0: Oh, yeah, early on in the story. Isn't Jack or not jack the the boy in the story he's he's quite ungrateful oh, yeah. and, and i've entitled gold, yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah and then he's taught a
1: lesson by father mushroom uh, let's see, other, other things, uh, perhaps there are positive aspects of family gatherings. A family gathering is a family gathering um, and can be quite joyful. Uh, there's nostalgia wound up in the practice as well. Of course. Uh, also, perhaps you really do enjoy the food. Uh, I mean, people are going to vary on
0: Thanksgiving food, uh, but— uh, You're getting a little jab in there for people who hate food.
1: <laughs> well, no, I don't hate food, but— um, i thanksgiving dishes are usually not my absolute favorite dishes oh i see the style of thanksgiving food as traditionally prepared yeah but
0: some people that might be your thing and if so uh you know go for it. You know, I am firmly of the opinion that people should not feel compelled to eat certain foods because it is a certain holiday. If it's the 4th of July and you're hanging out by the water but you don't want to eat burgers and mm-hmm. hot dogs and barbecue, don't eat burgers, hot dogs, eat whatever you want to eat. On Thanksgiving, I am, I, I strongly believe people should have kimchi centric feasts. Oh, I, like, I love that idea. And, and really, that's that gets to my next point, is that you may look
1: forward to Thanksgiving because you've created your own ritual. You have created something new, something fresh that you share with family and or friends that um, that means something more to you than some of these more, uh, you know, traditional tropes of the season. Mm-hmm. But, but I think the, the vast majority of us, wherever you fall in on these various uh, points, you can probably agree on one thing. Surely thankfulness itself, gratitude itself is a useful exercise. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, I think a lot of people might agree on that in principle, but then not really agree on it in practice. Mm, well, yes. Yeah, so th- th- It's one thing to think it, one thing to, to, another to act on it. Uh, you know, the,
1: the act or even thought of being thankful, though, for what you have in life, no matter how small, no matter how cruel fate may seem at times, uh, there is, I think, generally an idea that this is good, this is beneficial, and if somebody is arguing something uh, contrary to that... They're probably doing it to get a rise out of you uh with you know some exceptions, I'm sure,
0: so we're actually going to be talking about gratitude and thankfulness today right mm-hmm. uh, i I was thinking about how okay, this subject might at first glance seem kind of quaint compared to like the grotesque evolutionary realities and strange frontiers of un- understanding that we often like to explore on the show but i think this kind of research by which i mean investigation of like fundamental positive emotional states is extremely important it's actually highly relevant as a scientific frontier because whatever you may think you know or whatever you think is obvious about how to live a good life just look at the ways we actually live and in, in practice, humans are clearly not in agreement about how to live a good life and like, what are the correct emotional states to seek and how to seek them. In practice, we don't always have reliable ways of orienting our mental and emotional lives to the maximum benefit of ourselves and others. So I think this kind of thing, the study of positive emotions and positive social interactions is actually a crucial socially relevant psychological frontier and a workshop for the tools for a better life. Absolutely, I would agree. And another thing I think is that it's important to look at the science about, on subjects like this because uh, I, I would say this kind of stuff is usually the domain of Uh, things like religion and common sense, you know, positive interactions and positive emotions. And that's all well and good to deal with it in in a religious way or just kind of deal with it at a, you know, gut feeling way. But it's worth bringing a critical scientific lens to figure out what's actually going on with these emotions. What are their biological roots? Uh, What are the best ways to trigger and sustain them? Like, how do they fit into our lives and and how can we drive them to the benefit of humanity?
1: Yeah, and, and hopefully all of this will be just a good exercise for everyone in general, because I know from from personal experience, it's entirely possible to go through an entire Thanksgiving holiday without actually engaging in the experience of gratitude and thoughts or acts of gratitude. So maybe this will force all of us to to rethink what gratitude is and why we seemingly have a holiday that's all about reminding us to be thankful, uh, even if we uh, don't always actually act on that. So first of all, let's just start with uh, under the origins of gratitude, getting down to the you know the brass tacks of the matter. Uh, we'll start with the old old Webster's definition. Okay, gratitude is a state of being grateful.
0: Right? Uh, that's not very helpful. <laughs> all
1: right, we'll go deeper. And to be grateful is to be appreciative of benefits received, uh, expressing gratitude, affording pleasure or contentment, or pleasing by reason of comfort supplied or discomfort alleviated.
0: So it is being aware of your. Blessings, being aware of benefits received, and more than just acknowledging that they exist, being appreciative of them. So it's like a positive emotion that coincides with acknowledging what has gone well.
1: Right now, in considering all of this, and certainly more so if you were already bringing in religious connotations, we touch on the fact that sometimes gratitude is, shall we say, more cosmic. Mm-hmm. For instance, I can truly say that I'm thankful to have been born in a time of such scientific advancements, uh, you know, such relative global peace and personal freedom. And and I often come back to the old Phil Oaks folk song, There But For Fortune, Mm -hmm. that that talks about all these terrible things and saying, well, there but for fortune go you or I.
0: Yeah, and Um, and as much as there, of course, still is always lots of things wrong in the world, you can appreciate the things that have gone right. I mean, like whatever else bad is going on, you can say, wow, I was able to receive vaccines. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But a lot of these are
1: sort of by luck of the universe. I exist at all. I am conscious of my existence at all. Or, you know, d- despite a fair amount of nitpicking and even some, you know, major issues with the state of world or even reality itself, we can say, well, I am fortunate. Right. So that's, that's very, you know, cosmic uh, gratitude. But then there's the idea of being grateful to someone or to something. And, and this is important as well. And it can take many forms. Perhaps you are grateful to your partner for all they do and for their love. Perhaps you are grateful to your parents for their love and support. Perhaps you're grateful to a friend or even a stranger who did you a favor. Perhaps you're grateful to an authority figure in your life, a boss, a public figure who helped you in some way, an artist who created something that gave you joy or a king. Um, You know, and indeed perhaps you're you're grateful to a deity for their perceived role in any of these everyday blessings or the larger cosmic blessings that we mentioned already.
0: Yeah, this is an interesting distinction. Uh, Maybe looking at social gratitude versus what you're calling like cosmic gratitude uh, because I I believe – the biological function of gratitude as an emotion in the primate brain Mm -hmm. is probably primarily social, right? It's a motivating emotion that encourages bonding and reciprocal cooperation between animals. But in humans, it's clear that, that it can escape the bonds of its original social context and exist without an object, right? You can be grateful but not to any person in particular, like you're talking about with this cosmic gratefulness, or exist in relationship to things, maybe there is an object you're grateful to, but it's not another animal or another person. It can just be a situation. I, I find that really interesting. Uh, and I think there are plenty of parallels with other emotions that have escaped their original social significance in an animal context. You might think of resentment in the negative side. Resentment, I think, also is primarily a social emotion as biological functions in you know, regulating social groups and group dynamics. But it's also possible for f- people to feel resent Toward no one in particular, just sort of rather toward life or toward general situations.
1: All right, like so. For instance, if, if I have back pain, yeah. I can resent my job and or and or my boss because you know if that job somehow played into me injuring my back. Yeah. If I believe in a deity, I can resent my deity or, or you know whatever the, or the devil or whoever for their role in making my back hurt or allowing it to hurt mm-hmm. in the first place. Or I can, for instance, be resentful at uh, natural selection in the state of human biology that uh, that frequently enables back pain to exist at all.
0: You can just have resentfulness without an object. Yeah, like there's
1: nobody to be mad at here, but I'm so resentful.
0: Yeah, and I think the same is clearly true of gratitude. I entirely agree with this idea of this cosmic feeling of gratitude. And it's funny how that kind of thing complicates our picture of of gratitude far beyond even the kind you see uh, like in the the folk tales where most often gratitude manifests as like, uh, you know, a sort of a a debt owed to someone. Someone Mm. has done something nice for you and you're going to find a way to pay them back.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because if there is an other involved in your gratitude, be it an actual human person or a perceived deity, then there may be, well, this feeling of indebtedness. There is a bond. There is something that needs to be repaid in one form or another. And then there's clearly overlap here between indebtedness and gratitude. Uh, And it really depends on who you talk to, who's doing the arguing. Some say that they are essentially equivalent. Others, however, argue that we're talking about two distinct emotional states. Hmm. I was looking at some various uh, you know, sources on this. In The Debt of Gratitude, Disassociating Gratitude and Indebtedness by Watkins et al., published in Cognition and Emotion in 2006, the researchers carried out a pair of exercises and surmised that, quote, the debt of gratitude is internally generated and is not analogous to an economic form of indebtedness.
0: Okay, so they come down on the side of it, these two
1: things being not equivalent. Right. Another study I was looking at, uh, this one from Matthews and Green, um, looking at me, appreciating you, self-focused attention distinguishes between gratitude and indebtedness. This was also an incognition and Emotion, but from 2008. In this, the researchers found that, quote, highly self-focused individuals recalled increased indebtedness, but not gratitude towards a benefactor relative to those in the control condition. Self-focused individuals also felt less commitment and closeness to the benefactor. So if I'm understanding Understanding this correctly, um, and indeed, these are all just arguments on the back of two experiments. They're not gospel uh, concerning gratitude. Indebtedness comes down, comes into play more when we're considering ourselves as players within a social system.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I can imagine, for example, it seems perfectly plausible that you could have person A, Bob, mm-hmm. who is really into paying back what he owes people. He borrows $5. He's going to pay you back $5. Oh, Bob Lannister. Right. Exactly. He always pays his debts, but he might not be uh, a person in which you recognize much of this emotion that we call gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Meanwhile, you could have person B, you could have Jeff over here, who maybe is kind of flaky about paying back debts owed and doesn't keep a very clean leg- that way, doesn't settle all his debts, but shows more of the emotion we think of as gratitude. That, that, that makes sense to me, and I can very easily see those things being disconnected from one another in social scenarios. Now, here's another paper.
1: I was looking at a 2007 paper in Motivation and Emotion from Joanne Sang, titled The Effects of Helper Intention on Gratitude and Indebtedness. And this also experimented with the distinction and explored the effects of helper intention on reactions to a favor. And basically, the subjects were asked to think about times they did something nice, uh, either with an, an, an ulterior motive or as an act of just pure benevolence. And, quote, participants felt significantly more grateful when the helper had benevolent intentions. So a lot of it would seem to come down to either the expressed nature of the act and or the individual's perception of it. So you could have people who feel thankful because, you know, the stranger gave me a cold water bottle just out of kindness or, uh, you know, um, or they could say, oh, well, the bellman was so nice to bring my luggage to my hotel room. Uh, and they're grateful, not realizing they were supposed to tip that individual. You right. know, it, it, yeah. you know, it's all about, you know, your perception. You know, likewise, you could feel indebted because your friend helped you move and you know that they are going to move next week. Uh, or, you know, you could be something like, oh, that stranger gave me a bottle of water probably because they're going to try to sell me something. I'm going to have to stand here and listen to them, you know, or something like that. So you could, you could read or potentially misread uh, any
0: situation and lean more towards gratitude or indebtedness. Oh, okay. I mean, we totally know if you've watched ever, uh, a mob movie or The mm-hmm. Sopranos that there are. Uh, gifts that are purely menacing you yes that you can like uh give somebody a gift or give somebody cash or something like that and the goal is not to do something nice for them it is to to scare them to signal to them that they are indebted to you and they can't you know they can't turn this down right it's more of a kind of dominance move yeah when someone
1: in a position of power um asks for a favor uh that sort of thing it's entirely different situation than if a normal person just asks uh you know, a friend or a family member for a favor.
0: Well, but but in this case, what I was talking about is if a person in power does you a favor, mm. but, you know, th- you're not going to feel gratitude if you don't think that the favor was actually done out of kindness, if you think the favor was done in some way to try to dominate you or make a point to you.
1: Yes. Now, both of these ideas, though, no matter how connected they are, touch on, th- on two things that are typically stressed in human cultures. You should repay your debts and you should show gratitude either in general or to a deity or deities and or
0: to individuals. All right. It's time to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to discuss some research on gratitude.
1: All right. We're back. So in considering you know cultural attitudes towards gratitude and who you should show gratitude towards, one of the big ones is, of course, gratitude towards parents and family members.
0: That kind of makes sense. I mean, the entire act of raising a child is doing a lot of favors that are not immediately repaid. Right. And, and also
1: you engage in them. Generally, because you don't expect them to be repaid. Yeah, of course, You're not willing to ledger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but this is important business in human culture, uh, and in various cultures we see different models of it. For instance, in um, Chinese traditions, there's a, the concept of uh, filial uh, piety or uh, xiao, and it is enormously important in, in many Eastern cultures uh, as well. It's a concept grounded in Taoist philosophy, Confucian family values, and it concerns the undying nature of the human. Soul soul the dead live on in the afterlife it also entails continued efforts to not only honor deceased family members but to care for them to tend to their desires and even uh, in some models you know, curry favor in order to avoid catastrophe to maintain balance and happiness for the living and for the dead um, you know it's a continued spirit uh, lineage for a given family but we also see the basic form of this elsewhere as well. A certain amount of respect and devotion is owed to elders, particularly one's own elders. And we see shades of this in other cultures. The, the Greeks and Romans put a great deal of emphasis on gratefulness to one's parents. And failure to honor this was considered not mere ingratitude but impiety. Uh, so we're talking you know, the dire breach of a bond that is often attributed to that between a mortal and a god. And, of course, one is reminded of the the line from King Lear, right? How sharper it is than a serpent's tooth to have an
0: ungrateful child. I mean, the serpent's tooth doesn't make noise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, now, I mean, that is like – why is it – I mean, I, I don't think it's just like our personal pet peeves. Like it is a, a widely recognized thing that one of the most disgusting things to witness is like – a particularly entitled and ungrateful child. Well, that's why in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory,
1: we, yeah. we see, uh, I think, several iterations of, of this, right? Uh, the ungrateful child. I guess, Faruka, is Farouk assault one of the ungrateful children? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not a Willy Wonka oh. uh, expert here. No, I'm trying to... At least one of them is definitely positioned as an ungrateful child. And, and
0: of, of a, co- a lot of I want it's and no thank you's.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, we realistically have to acknowledge that relationships between um, children and parents is, is often more complicated than this. But mm-hmm. still, the, the, the trope, the idea, the cultural emphasis remains. But in general, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all stress gratitude as being part of a good life. It's also stressed in Hinduism and Buddhism and uh, other major faiths as well. And, and often there's an emphasis
0: put on gratitude as expressed in prayer. Absolutely, I think – and as we get into the studies about the psychological benefits of actively practicing gratitude, I I think this is one of the many arguments you could make that there are uh, secular psychological benefits to what you would normally see as prayer behaviors. Right, right. Yeah, and
1: we see various philosophers and thinkers throughout time uh, chiming in on gratitude as well, generally in favor of it. Um, So just a taste of some of these –
0: uh, and maybe we can go back and forth on these, uh, these Joe, uh, if you want to take the first one. Oh, OK. So uh, Epicurus said, do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. Remember that what you now have was once among the things you only hoped for.
1: All right. And then Cicero uh, uh, once uh, said gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. I
0: think he's close. I think the parent of all others is probably honesty, mm-hmm. but, but gratitude is right up there, somewhere right below. Uh, I think gratitude fits in pretty well with, uh, with the Stoic philosophy, and you, and you can see this uh, in the writings of Marcus Aurelius, where he said, take full account of what excellencies you possess, and in gratitude, remember how you would hanker after them if you had them not.
1: Hmm. Now, I was, of course, curious what uh, Aristotle uh, had to say. uh,
0: (laughs) Because he's always wrong.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and you might not be surprised here, depending on how you look at it. Uh, So I've read different things about Aristotle's approach to gratitude. Uh, On one hand, as pointed out uh, by Jacqueline uh, Pfeiffer Merrill in uh, Philanthropy Daily, uh, The Virtue of Gratitude is the name of um, uh, her piece. Uh, Aristotle did not list gratitude as a virtue and actually listed several traits that run opposite to the idea, such as having a, quote, proper pride.
0: Uh, Wasn't Aristotle also against mercy? (laughs) He didn't really (laughs) like it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, uh, the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy points out that gratitude quote fits nicely into Aristotle's picture of virtue as a mean between an excess and a deficiency, with gratitude being a mean between the vices of arrogant, prideful, and envious ingratitude on one hand, and the obsequiousness or uh, servility of overgratitude on the other. Still, I would say Aristotle not coming off as like the the, the real poster child for gratitude.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think Aristotle was very much one he was kind of obsessed with like with like justice and the ledger being evenly mm. settled and things. So like, you know, I think he was against the idea of mercy or compassion toward people who were receiving deserved or just suffering. Mm. And I think he would probably likely here be against um feelings of gratitude that are disproportionate to the benefits received.
1: All right, let's fast-forward a bit to some more recent thinkers.
0: Okay, it looks like we got Voltaire here, who said, uh, appreciation is a wonderful thing. It makes what is excellent in others belong to us as well. Oh, I, I really like that one. Uh, and then uh, here's one from
1: C.S. Lewis. This is from the Screwtape Letters. Uh, and uh, offhand, I don't remember if this is, these are the words of a demon or not. Uh, but, quote, gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Now, now to come back to the idea of a you know, sort of terrestrial and cosmic gratitude, uh, secular and religious thankfulness, there's a wonderful 2014 Atlantic article titled Gratitude Without God that asks ask us, you know, what are we to make of gratitude when we remove the spiritual elements so key to it in religious modes of life? And in this, UC Davis psychologist Robert Emmons is quoted in the article, and I think he sums it up rather nicely. Quote, We all begin life dependent on others, and most of us end life dependent on others. If we are lucky, in between we have roughly 60 years or so of unacknowledged dependency. The human condition is such that throughout life, not just at the beginning and end, we are profoundly dependent on other people. Gratitude is the truest approach to life. We did not create or fashion ourselves. We did not birth ourselves. Life is about giving, receiving, and repaying. We are receptive beings, dependent on the help of others, on their gifts and their
0: kindness. I think that's lovely and, and, and extremely true. Uh, Robert Emmons, of course, is uh, a, a psychologist who's deeply involved in research on gratitude. Mm-hmm. You see him all over like the uh, the UC Berkeley greater good thing, which stu- studies a lot of like, you know, positive emotions and things like that. He, he's all over that. So he does a lot with uh, emotions like gratitude. Uh, but I, I, I agree here. I mean, I, I think gratitude is fundamentally – an emotional state of honesty and realism, whereas a roughly converse emotion like pride more often reflects delusion and self-deception. Essentially, none of the things about your life that you enjoy could exist without the free gifts given by others in the past and present. Your, you know, the society you live in, your education that made you the person you are today, all the technology that you benefit from, the culture that you love. It, Everything, everything there is a gift from others in the past and in the present to you. And to try to ignore this is is just factually deceptive. You know, to think like, uh, I deserve everything good that I get and, and it's all because of me. I think exactly the same way that it feels good to tell the truth instead of lying. It feels good to be grateful for everything that's good. Yes, I would
1: agree. Now, uh, also interesting in this uh, this article um, that I that I quoted here, the uh, gratitude without God from the Atlantic in 2014, uh, they they cite uh, Michael McCullough, a psychologist at the University of Miami, who makes a, a case that it may also be just hardwired into us, social apes that we are. Traits for gratitude might be enforced through natural selection, uh, and McCullough has has researched gratitude before, before of you know finding that the doing nice things for people unexpectedly produces gratitude. And then it's more likely that we will
0: respond in kind. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I think there's been a lot of research on the dynamics of of, uh, like social altruism and reciprocal behavior among social species like, like primates, like us. How do you form stable social groups of complex animals like us? One pretty simple way to do it is to... Operate on the basis not it's not perfectly uh, represented like this, but uh, the basis of roughly reciprocal behavior. Mm-hmm. When somebody does something nice for you, you do something nice for them back. And if animals with traits for this evolve, they can have stable social groups.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that makes sense. And again, yeah, coming back to the fact that we are these social beings and we depend so heavily on on these social connections, though sometimes pride uh, does at least partially convinces that we that we are immune from all of this. So indeed there has been quite a bit of uh, research into gratitude. Uh, right. And and so we're not going to attempt to include everything here, but I wanted to start with just a few examples of recent studies from the past few years before looking at more of like a meta-analysis of, um, you know, what in general we know about gratitude. Right, So uh, there was a 2017 University of Oregon study that found that uh, journaling, uh, you know, taking your thoughts, putting them onto paper, f- forcing them into written language, inspired altruism through an exercise of gratitude.
0: Yeah. And that's going to be one thing that figures big into scientific research on gratitude. You've got to find a way to make it happen in the sort of lab conditions or controlled conditions. And uh, th- there are a couple of things that are very common there that are referred to as gratitude interventions one big one is getting people to like journal to write out their blessings and just like mentally acknowledge them going through the list and being thankful and that appears to work pretty well and another one is getting somebody to acknowledge a person directly like writing a letter of gratitude to someone Yes, Uh, and these these things don't work equally for everyone some people have a disposition that's more uh, toward gratitude to begin with but they do appear to be generally effective at triggering gratitude and its subsequent benefits it's something you can do that will very likely change your emotional state just to literally sit down and think about your blessings. It, it looks like it mostly works.
1: Uh, here's another one. 2018, University of Chicago Booth School of Business, uh, because, of course, gratitude is in every aspect of life and, of course, in the business uh, sphere as well. Right. How
0: can you use gratitude to extract money from other people?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this is interesting, though. It ties into, I think, the everyday experience because they said that they found that people tend to underestimate the power of, say, a letter of gratitude. Yeah. They also uh, you know, commented that despite all the research and the, the media coverage and just the, you know, the popular notion, that gratitude is good, the public uh, you know tends to not exercise th- these exercises of gratitude enough through expressions like this well, through, through like just a note of thank you.
0: Uh, that's what I was getting at earlier. I mean on one hand it's it's not very surprising to say that yes, gratitude has strong psychological benefits. practicing gratitude is really good and you should do it. That might be the conventional wisdom anyway, but people don't we don't act as if it is and and I kind of get from this the fact that it's such a, you know,
1: it's a business school of business paper. I'm getting that like, even from like a Machiavellian sort of <laughs> standpoint, people I mean, are not, they're not, it's like, you're not manipulating gratitude enough, <laughs> um, but that kind of like ties into our overall, you know, perhaps an overall lack of gratitude.
0: Maybe we're being ungrateful to our friends in the business world. They're not always <laughs> Machiavellian. No, I mean, no, no, no. There might be little elements of that.
1: Uh, here's another one. 2018, researchers from Peking University used neuroimaging to demonstrate a possible brain network involved in the translation of altruism into feelings of thankfulness. So i mean basically we're setting on two decades plus of work that supports the long standing idea that gratitude is a worthwhile virtue with positive effects on health, happiness, and relationships, and also tends to lessen uh, negative emotional states like envy and materialism. So indeed, there's a, a great deal of research out there about gratitude. And I was, I was looking through a lot of it, and I found a, a really good 2017 paper by uh, uh, Leos et al. in PLOS One. And, uh, and th- this did a lot of uh, sort of meta-analysis, uh, sort of catching us up on, on what has occurred in previous decades in the researching of gratitude. And, and a lot of these do come down to these experiments that you described already, Joe, about, you know, asking someone to recount their blessings before, you know, as part of the experiment, or asking them to write a letter of gratitude. Right. So, this paper, as the title indicates, was largely focused on looking at the, quote, complex constellation of social emotions people experience after practicing gratitude. But in doing so, they they do a wonderful meta-analysis of prior gratitude research. And this is basically, this is a short version of, uh, of what they lay out. So, first of all, numerous past studies have proven that there are tangible positive benefits to gratitude. Uh, I've listed some of these already, uh, you know, health, happiness, relationships, etc. And then following up on these, additional studies look to ways to induce these feelings uh, in experiments through gratitude exercises. So there's about a decade of that. And then uh, there are papers such as this one that look more at exactly what might be going on and how it factors, uh, you know, into the human experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, through their own studies in this paper, the, the researchers found that gratitude exercises feel pleasant and mildly unpleasant at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was, is really insightful. This is something that I, I, I didn't even really think about, but then after I read it, I'm like, well, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, if when I'm, when I'm engaging in an exercise of gratitude – uh, which you know it might be in the in a prayer i 've gone to yoga classes where they do uh, a gratitude exercise as well mm-hmm. uh, they can feel a little bittersweet because in contemplating what you have there uh, and, and, and what has you know the, the the various aids that have been present to help you get where you are in your life uh, as well as the cosmic things in place you know you you end up at least partially contemplating uh you know the the situation of others and
0: uh, and indeed the getting into that there-but-for-fortune kind of zone that we discussed earlier. Yeah, I think there there are multiple reasons that practicing gratitude, while very psychologically beneficial overall, it, it can be bittersweet. And of course, one of the reasons is acknowledging the misfortune of others while you acknowledge your own fortune. I mean, that, that of course, it, it doesn't feel good to contemplate the fact that you have what others do not have. Yeah. Uh, but then also, there's another thing which is just like, there's a certain part of you that even when you're trying to practice gratitude, probably always wants to be a bit narcissistic and mm-hmm. entitled, and think that, well, I, you know, I just get what's coming to me. All the good things coming my way are because I deserve them, and I'm so great, and I've earned everything I have. And you know, people sometimes like to think that way, and it's weird that. So I think the research is absolutely clear that actively practicing gratitude and acknowledging all of the blessings that have come your way, being thankful for what other people have done for you and for your good fortune and luck – that has positive benefits and it feels good. But if you are encouraged to do that, if certain, especially certain people with uh, a kind of disposition against gratitude mm-hmm. are encouraged to do things like that using the wrong language or the wrong tone of voice, they can often become incredibly defensive and defiant at, like, in, at the suggestion that they have benefited from privileges and blessings and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. There, you
1: know, Obviously, there's a lot of talk in, in culture today about, about the various privileges. Privileges that we have and checking your privilege, acknowledging your privilege and uh, and, you know, and factoring that into how you uh, relate to others, how you empathize with other people, uh-huh. uh, which, which is, I think, a very important exercise, an essential exercise. Uh,
0: but yeah, at the same time, like that's a way to really raise somebody's defenses. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think I could be wrong, but what I tend to imagine is going on there is that even though I think most people would acknowledge that it is good to think understand and think about the blessings you've received, you know, the honored privileges that that you benefit from, that if you are encouraged to do so by someone that you don't see as sympathetic to you, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're encouraged to do that by somebody you see as maybe a potential enemy or stranger or outsider, you you get kind of you just like put the walls up and you're like, no, it feels like an attack. Yeah. And I wonder if part of this, you know, getting back to this bittersweet aspect of,
1: of gratitude is that it is placing your Self into a state of vulnerability, mm-hmm. uh, which which is generally something that's the kind of thing that is necessary for change. That's necessary for um, uh, for, for a lot of like positive movements uh, of of the of, of the, the mind and the, and our sense of identity. Uh, but it can also be frightening. Also in this paper, they speculated that this mixed emotional experience is perhaps more motivating than a, like a purely positive emotional experience would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they write, quote, indeed, it may be this bittersweet state and the behaviors it elicits that explain why gratitude exercises lead to downstream positive outcomes, pro-sociality, health-promoting behavior, etc.,
0: uh, lending support to the age-old wisdom that gratitude is indeed a virtue. Right. Uh, so it's not just like an emotion or an emotional state, but it is actually motivating. Uh, we already talked about the idea that gratitude is an emotion that maybe in an evolutionary sense promotes pro-social behavior, it promotes like in-group cooperation, reciprocal altruism with people, you know, uh, doing a nice thing for people who you imagine would do a nice thing for you or have done a nice thing for you. That, of course, is very important social behavior. But health-promoting behavior, that, that's another really interesting one. It does show up a lot in the research that mm-hmm. you practice gratitude, you're less likely to abuse your own body in various ways. It's hard to imagine exactly what the mechanism is there, but I can see it have something to do with the kind of, uh, the kind of bittersweet self-reflection brought on by understanding the the things you benefit from.
1: Yeah, um, and I also I also think there's probably a connection there to the. I mean, there there is a connection between gratitude and altruism, and you know, some of the, we discussed some of that connection uh, already. But you can see where you could you could be asked to feel th- gratitude. You're so you're you're thankful for the food you have. You have enough food to feed your family, right? Mm-hmm. And then you realize in doing that that a lot of people cannot make this statement, and then that may lead to then to the action to actually doing something like signing up for a meal delivery program, participating in a canned food drive or or other acts of altruism.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's entirely plausible. Now, focusing just on the immediate psychological benefits uh, of, uh, of, of practicing gratitude, uh, I was watching a short talk by the UC Davis psychologist, Robert A. Emmons, who is deeply involved in a lot of this gratitude research. Uh, I think we already mentioned him earlier. Yeah. So, yeah, we read a quote from yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, and he, he just makes a, a number of points summarizing some of the the big takeaways from gratitude research uh, and and its emotional benefits. One of the things he mentions that I think is, is interesting is that. Under natural circumstances, states of positive emotion quickly wear off. You know, like you, mm-hmm. you, you're you happy because something good happened. You know, that can be anything from, you know, a, a loved one did something nice for you or you got a raise at work or whatever it is, you know, that leads to this feeling of like, oh, wow, you know, the things are great. Those emotional states wear off really fast. We're, we're prone to sort of like go back to baseline or, or pay attention to the new stimulus. But research indicates that actively practicing gratitude sort of has the power to prolong and sustain states of positive emotion. It prevents that wearing off effect uh, and and, uh, positive emotional states being supplanted by novelty in your experience. Uh, And I think that's a pretty straightforward effect, right? Just like like thinking about your blessings allows you to enjoy them more. Another thing he points out is that gratitude actively suppresses some negative emotions and emotional states, not all but some. Uh, and the negative emotional states that he flags as, as being uh, sort of blocked by practicing gratitude are envy, resentment, regret, and depression. Another thing he mentions is that gratitude encourages psychological resilience. That just means it, that, like dispositional gratitude. If you if you train yourself to become a gratitude disposed kind of person, it makes it easier to recover when bad things happen to you and when you enter negative emotional states. Uh, and then finally, of course, th- this goes more to what we were talking about just a minute ago. Gratitude strengthens social bonding and increases our feeling of self worth. Uh, and I think the self worth thing is very interesting because there's some kind of perhaps ironic or or seemingly on its face, self-contradictory thing going on with gratitude, Mm -hmm. it seems like gratitude simultaneously causes us to, you know, like— be less self focused and less narcissistic, and less uh, uh, less likely to believe that you know we just deserve everything good that's come our way. We earned it all. But on the other hand, it does somehow make people feel more worthy.
1: I wonder if it is because on some level, like our, our most pronounced version of the egoic self, you know, the most inflated version, uh, which is going to vary from individual to individual, but but that that uh, edifice that we put out, you know, that. It is on some level, even as we're saying it, we know that it is an inflation. Mm-hmm. And acts of gratitude force us to withdraw that uh, that that self balloon to to a more reasonable level that then
0: we can feel a lot better about. Yeah, it's true. Like that, you might feel better thinking about your own accomplishments if you're more humble in considering what they are. Right. Yeah, because you've come down
1: from "I am a golden god" to "I'm an okay person," <laughs> and then you're like, "Yeah, I can stand behind
0: that that statement." I'm my hands aren't shaking when i say it but i've got another possible theory this isn't something that uh, that i've read uh, asserted elsewhere but it, it sort of ties into what we were just thinking about and i'm wondering if there's a tie in to an extrapolated version of something known as the ben franklin effect i think maybe we should take a break and then we can come back and talk about this all right we'll do it
1: all right, we're back, and I have to admit, I, I kind of feel like I want to ring a bell or have a sound effect anytime Ben Franklin shows up in either stuff to blow your mind or invention, uh-huh. because it does seem like he'll pop in like a special guest star, like a frequent special guest star in a sitcom. Uh-huh. Like suddenly he's here. What's he going to do? Is he going to experiment with something? Is he going to, uh, you know, share some wisdom? What's his role? The Ben Franklin
0: effect. Well, I kind of can't – you know, I, I, I don't love all the so, so-called founding fathers equally, but I think maybe I'm sort of a – you might call a Francophile. I, <laughs> I like I like Franklin. All right. Well, how does he tie into gratitude? All right. So this is uh, a, a principle known as the Ben Franklin effect. <laughs> the Ben Franklin effect. And here's a very simple version of it. You're more likely to do a favor for me if you've already done me a favor in the past. Hmm. It's named after a story Benjamin Franklin tells in his autobiography about how when he was serving as a clerk in the Pennsylvania General Assembly, and this was before the American Revolution, this would be in the colonial administration of the mid-1730s, Franklin tells how one year a new member of the assembly shows up and makes this long speech against Franklin's candidacy for reappointment to the So, we've got like an anti-Franklinite in the assembly who's up there railing against Franklin. And Franklin evaluates this guy and he judges that actually this guy would make a good ally in the future because uh, he he's likely to have a lot of influence, he's wealthy, he's well-educated, and he's got a lot of political talents. So Franklin wants to turn this enemy into a friend, but he also doesn't want to do anything humiliating or pay <laughs> any, quote, pay any servile respect to him, which, you know, I— I admire Franklin for admitting that, like, petty resistance, right? (laughs) Yeah. So he comes up with a plan to ingratiate himself to this guy, and uh, he writes uh, describing it here, quote, Having heard that he had in his library a certain very scarce and curious book, I wrote a note to him expressing my desire of perusing that book and requesting he would do me the favor of lending it to me for a few days. He sent it immediately, and I returned it in about a week with another note, expressing strongly my sense of the favor. When we next met in the house, he spoke to me, which he had never done before, and with great civility, and he ever after manifested a readiness to serve me on all occasions so that we became great friends and our friendship continued to his death. This is another instance of the truth of an old maxim I had learned, which says, he that has once done you a kindness will be more ready to do you another than he whom you yourself have obliged. And it shows how much more profitable it is to prudently remove than to resent, return, and continue inimical proceedings. And that, of course, that that certain very scarce and curious book was, of course, the (laughs) Necronomicon. I think so. Uh, it's it's how Franklin learned the electrostatic secrets of Azazoff. <laughs> so Franklin's observation can be generalized. If you want to make somebody like you, to make them treat you better, get them to do you a small favor. After somebody does you a small favor, their feelings about you become more amicable and they become more likely to treat you better in other ways. The Ben, <laughs> Franklin, the Effect. ben Franklin Effect. So a couple of questions. Uh, This is just a historical anecdote. First of all, is this effect generally real? Can it be empirically confirmed? And if so, how does this tie back into gratitude as we were uh, talking about earlier? So uh, the first question, is there empirical evidence for the Ben Franklin effect? I think the scientific evidence is not overwhelming, but there are a few studies and they do seem to support the effect. One uh, famous one was from the 1960s. I think it's from 69 in the journal Human Relations by Jecker and Landy called Liking a Person as a Function of Doing Him a Favor. Hmm. And the authors here did this complicated procedure with, a, with, with having participants go into a sham experiment that involved payouts of, small payouts of money at the end of the experiment. Uh, and they had different conditions where experimenters or somebody acting on behalf of the experimenter would ask participants to do favors for them, including returning the small amounts of money that they had won for participation in the experiment. Like there was a ruse where they'd say, actually, funding has run out, and and this is your payment, but uh, uh, I'm having to fund these experiments out of my own pocket, so I would really appreciate if you would return the money. And then they also tried uh, asking for this favor through an intermediary like a uh, department secretary, and the authors did indeed find that after doing somebody a favor, participants' on average, reported liking that person more than they did before, more than they did if they didn't do the person a favor. The Ben Franklin effect was supported by the experiment. But there are some interesting nuggets. Uh, First of all, it did not help for a person to ask for a favor through an intermediary or have somebody else ask for a favor on your behalf. Only asking directly seemed to create the effect here. Hmm. Well, that that would make sense. Like that is The the formation of the social bond must be uh, person to person. Yeah, I I think that sort of makes sense. Uh, The experimenters also manipulated the, the magnitude of the favor to see if this made a difference. Does doing somebody a bigger favor make you like them more than doing them a smaller favor? They called this the magnitude of concession hypothesis, and they expected it to be the case, but they were wrong. It appears that if I ask you for a favor and you do it for me, you will probably like me more than you did before, but there is no evidence that doing me a bigger favor makes you like me more than doing a smaller favor would hmm. so based on the study I think it makes sense if you're trying to get somebody to like you ask them to do you a small favor
1: and of course, in this, I know everybody is now thinking back to times that uh, friends and coworkers ask small favors uh-huh. and you're, you're second guessing and wondering if they were, were they infer- gaming you. Were yeah. they gaming you? Yeah. It's like, oh, they, they got me. <laughs> they didn't want to read that book. They just wanted
0: to mess with me. Uh, so interesting question. Like th- this does appear to be empirically true. If it is, in fact, a robust effect and generalizable, what explains it? Why are we like this? Uh, there, there are a couple of main ex- explanations that have been floated. One is uh, just sort of like a a social effect that the act of requesting a favor humanizes you in the eyes of a person to whom you made the request. Uh, Like it makes you just appear more sympathetic if Mm -hmm. you come asking for something.
1: This this makes perfect sense because I feel like when we dislike someone, we tend to – formulate a very simple model of who they are and what they're about. Mm-hmm. And generally, it'll boil down to like, you know, a, f- a few impulses or ideas regarding their personality or character. Yes. And this ad- adds a, a mundane element into the mix that is, it's perhaps is like adding adding water to a strong
0: beverage, uh, dilutes the, uh, <laughs> the poison a bit. Yeah, I think that's a good way of explaining it. And I think this... Explanation is somewhat supported by by some of the research, but not all of it. There's another explanation, which is the cognitive dissonance explanation. Basically, the idea here is that it's hard to mentally reconcile having done something nice for somebody you think you don't like. Hmm. So the brain resolves this incongruity by updating its opinion of the recipient in a positive way. Okay, that makes sense. Now, we'll come back to these explanations in a minute. I just wanted to look real quickly at another uh, study that investigated the Ben Franklin effect. This was by uh, Yu Nia in the Journal of Social Psychology in 2016, Does a Favor Request Increase Liking Toward the Requester? Uh, And this found more evidence of the Ben Franklin effect. Quote, In an experiment, both Japanese and American participants who were asked for help from a confederate increased their liking of the confederate relative to the baseline. Social impression of the confederate and perceived closeness of the relationship also increased relative to baseline. Uh, However, there was an interesting twist. There was no measurable increase when you do a favor for somebody without them asking. Mm. So it seemed like, at least in this experiment, again, might not be generalizable, but in this study... It was the act of asking for the favor that was crucially important in securing the change of attitude. If you just do somebody a favor without them asking, it doesn't seem to change anything.
1: All right. So so it's so for instance, if you come up to your boss and you're like, hey, here's a, here's a good book. You should read this. You should borrow it. Yeah. I'm going to
0: lend it to you. Not going to have the same effect if the boss came to you and said, hey, can I borrow that book? Right. If, if this one is the more generalizable effect, it would be that you, you're more likely to like the boss more if they ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So uh, these effects would seem to support the humanization explanation rather than the cognitive dissonance reduction explanation. But there's other research in favor of the general idea behind the cognitive dissonance reduction interpretation, showing that we tend to form our opinions of people in ways that justify the ways we have already treated them. Mm. Uh, For example, there are studies showing that if you force people by experimental conditions to insult and say mean things to a person's face, you will subsequently find that the People who were forced to say the mean things like the people they insulted less than they did before, less than they would on average otherwise. Mm. Um, and so I, I think this fits pretty well with everyday experience. Like how often have you noticed Bob do something thoughtlessly harmful to Jeff? And then afterwards, when forced to think about the fact that he did something harmful to Jeff, subsequently like start coming up with reasons why Jeff is trash and he deserved it. Mm, I feel like I've, I've
1: read examples of this in workplace scenarios as well. Like what happens when employers are, you know, forced to some degree, uh, to employ harsher measures on employees, such as headcount reductions or you know the removal of benefits, that sort of thing, and then like there is this sometimes there's this justification process that moves in that's exactly like this.
0: Right, you justify your maltreatment by revising your opinions of these people and making them seem worse in your own mind, mm-hmm. and th- that would fit with the cognitive dissonance reduction model. Uh, and if that model of the Ben Franklin effect has any truth to it, I think it would seem to fit with models of the self similar to like Michael Gazzaniga and Joseph Ledoux's left brain interpreter theory. The idea that our self comes from a part of the brain in the left hemisphere that observes our behavior and then tells itself a story to try to make sense of it. In other words, you don't cause your actions, your body acts, and then you tell yourself a narrative to make sense of it. Wow, you know, this is one of those things where you 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 can apply
1: this to the mistreatment of of any group of people throughout history, and you
0: can see this kind of how this kind of feedback uh, effect works. Oh yeah, I think this absolutely has broad like social and political ramifications. You can see it happening when 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 one group inflicts pain on another group. There's often an accompanying dehumanization mm-hmm. of the group that's getting the pain inflicted on them, and I think that's this is probably a cognitive dissonance reduction thing. It's yeah. coming up with Narratives that justify the bad behavior, and uh, so yeah, when when your actions and your feelings about a person don't match up, one solution under this theory to reduce this friction in your brain is just to update your feelings about the person. So if you treated somebody nice, you start to like them more. If you treated somebody bad, you start to like them less. Now, bringing it all back to the to the subject matter at hand, why did I bring this up in the context of discussing gratitude? It's simply because I was wondering if practicing gratitude interventions— Generalizes the Ben Franklin effect by turning it inward. Oh. If by like uh, observing the ways that the world has treated you nicely, that it can have positive psychological effects by sort of like self Ben Franklining mm-hmm. and seeing yourself as well. Maybe there are ways in which I am worthy of good fortune.
1: Oh, right. So in, in, instead of suddenly changing your opinion of Ben Franklin, who uh, who asked for this uh, the lending of this book, uh, yeah, you feel better. About the world, about individuals, about uh, you know these various uh, mundane and cosmic uh, uh, forces
0: that we contemplate when we exercise gratitude, yeah, exactly so i 'm not sure that that 's what 's operative here, but I wonder about that, and I, I would be interested if somebody could could find ways to like test this explanation hypothesis sort of is practicing gratitude? does it lead to cognitive dissonance reduction strategies in the brain that resolve Toward an updated view of of self worth and and uh, you know and and fitting in with the cosmic order and with your friends and family and everything else around you, Uh, but then again, I mean, I think this is we already mentioned this, but it's complicated by the fact that at the same time that gratitude seems to increase feelings of self worth, it like specifically also asks you to not feel like you deserve everything good that's ever happened to you and you know you just earned it all on your own mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's that tension that makes gratitude such an interesting emotion.
1: Yeah, yeah and you know I know that some people listening to this might think alright well now I have all these selfish reasons to engage in gratitude <laughs> but on one hand that's fine because we are talking about this feedback between uh, you know between action and thought and uh, and so forth it's like even if your initial motivation is, is self Selfish. It it feels as if the uh, you know the, the complex interplay here will take over. Mm-hmm. Um, you may enter into it selfishly, but then you know, assuming uh, you know uh, uh, you know typical uh, neurological uh, uh, conditions here, uh, the gratitude will take over. Like the 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 effect seems to be potent enough. Uh, and and part of the human experience uh, in a a broad sense uh, so that you, uh, you know, for whatever reason you say yes to it, uh, it will do its thing once you let it into you. Totally.
0: Uh, Gratitude, humility,
1: fake it till you make it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, of course, the other thing, too, is that, we speak of gratitude exercises and I think uh-huh. you can think of them like exercise. You right. don't want to run on a treadmill once a year at the end of Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? You, you, uh, and likewise, you don't want to just exercise gratitude uh, once a year or twice or a year or whatever. Like most of the research seems to say that it it, it needs to be something that is engaged
0: with on a regular basis. Uh, and, you know, it's to sort of refresh the psyche. I will say this is one where the, the, Overall gist of the research fits very much with my own anecdotal experience. Mm -hmm. I I try whenever I remember, and I I succeed pretty often to actively practice gratitude. Uh, And I guess this won't be unusual to a lot of people who have like religious practices where they regularly, you know, like pray and thank God for their blessings or some equivalent of that. Uh, You know, I, I do a secular kind of thing. I like to just when I can remember to write down or say out loud nice things that I have benefited from and recognize them and. And take stock, and I will say it is a, a, in my experience, an extremely useful psychologically cleansing exercise. Yeah, in, in our household, we regularly have family meetings mm-hmm. where each of we go around, and you have
1: to say hi. You have to say, you know, what was the highlight of your day? What was the challenge of your day? A, and also, what are you looking forward to? And what are you thankful for? And uh, and I think that's a, a good way to go about it, particularly if you you have a you know family scenario and uh, you know perhaps a, a small child. Like that's a level of uh, of of thankfulness exercise that I think
0: is very achievable. Uh, I think that's probably, I mean, I'm not a child psychologist or anything, but I think that's got to be incredibly important for a child to see that kind of behavior modeled and to participate in it. Uh, I mean, it, as we were saying earlier, like, there's nothing more disgusting than seeing a really ungrateful <laughs> child. <laughs> like, even though, you know, we were all like that when we were kids. Oh, yeah. We had those- If you observe those, a
1: child, at some point or another, you will observe an ungrateful child because
0: they are they are learning all of this social complexity. It's a natural tendency, but it's one of the- gratefulness, I think, is one of the most important things for children to be socialized into as early as possible. Yeah,
1: I agree. All right. Uh, We're going to go ahead and close it up there. But, uh, you know, obviously, this is an episode that everyone is going to have some feedback on. So we would love to hear from everyone else about your relationship with gratitude, how you think about it, uh, your relationship with Thanksgiving even. You know, hopefully we've provided some, uh, you know, from food for thought as you engage (laughs) in this year's feast. In the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find them all. You'll also find them wherever you get your podcasts and wherever that happens to be. Uh, Just make sure you subscribe uh, to ensure you get future episodes. And also leave us a nice review if you like. That that helps us out. Um, All of you want to check out our other show, Invention. uh, That's at InventionPod.com. And indeed, Benjamin Franklin, I think, has shown up in some episodes there as well. And if you want a little uh, sci-fi horror for your holiday listening uh the second oil age uh, all the episodes are out so you can binge that puppy now Oh, and shirts. I should also mention, uh, if you go to stufftoblowyourmind.com, you'll mm-hmm. find a tab for our merch store. And indeed, there are shirts there with things like squirrels and basilisks and our logo. And there's a new shirt as well. Uh, it's kind of a treasure map uh, kind
0: of scenario, I think. And I think it was from our, uh, our Sea monster. Oh, episode. yes, it's a Sea Monster,
1: yeah. uh, sea monster shirt. Uh, so a new one of those to check out. And I believe there are some Thanksgiving Black Friday deals in play as well. So now's a good time to pick something up if you are so inclined. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, dive into the merch pit and mosh as hard as you can. And of course, one more thing: since we were talking about gratitude, really have to express our gratitude to you, the listeners, uh,
0: because without you, none of this is really possible. Oh, it's true, though. Yes, Uh, and I, as always, express my great gratitude, our great gratitude to our excellent audio producer Seth Nicholas Johnson, who makes it all possible. Absolutely. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just Just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thank you.